Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. I moved out of my family's home when I was 16. My boyfriend and now husband got his first apartment and he needed help with bills. So I took this as an opportunity to leave the nest. My husband and I moved into an apartment on the bad side of town. The neighborhood consisted of ex-felons, drug dealers, registered offenders, etc. We lived on the second floor in a house up on a hill. When I say hill... I mean, there were four flights of stairs just to get up to the house. The outside of the house was a bit dirty, to say the least, but the inside was okay. When we first looked at the apartment, I remember a welcoming feeling when we entered. I always had a rule that if I walked into a place that makes the hair on my arms stand up, I would not be staying. Luckily, this was a warm and welcoming place. At first. To describe the layout, when you walked in the front door, you were in the living room, and to your left, there was our bedroom, then a long hallway. At the end of the hallway, there was a closet. To the right of the closet, there was a spare room with a bathroom, and to the left, there was a kitchen. There was a doorway from our living room that led into the kitchen, so it was just this big circle. We moved in, and the first few weeks were good but then things started to get a bit odd. There were about four closets in this apartment, one in the living room, one in the kitchen, one in the hallway, and one in our bedroom. We quickly realized that they reeked. To this day, I can't describe the smell because I've never smelled anything like it before. I was just remembering opening the closets and gagging from the horrible, distinct stench. A couple of weeks later, my husband and I were planning on going to do something. We made it all the way down the inside and outside stairs to the car, and then we realized we forgot something. I don't remember what we forgot or who forgot it, but I went all the way back up the steps to the apartment. I ran into the bedroom, grabbed what was needed, leaving my phone on the bed. I decided to grab a snack for the ride, so I grabbed a granola bar. Then I made my way back to the bedroom for my phone. But it was gone. I ripped that bedroom apart, high and low. My bright yellow iPhone was nowhere to be found. I went back to the kitchen to search with no luck. Finally, I went into the living room. I made it to the part of the room where the closet was. I felt like my stomach dropped. The hairs on my arms raised and goosebumps covered my entire body. I remember looking over at the closet and thinking, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. Let me tell you, apparently there was a way. 
I opened that closet door, and there was my phone in the back right corner laying face up. I grabbed it, slammed the closet door shut, and headed towards the front door. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a shape all the way down the hallway toward the other closet. A tall, black shape stood there for only a second. I turned my head to look as it moved toward the spare room. You better believe I hightailed it out of there. I got down to the car and I looked at my husband. All I remember saying was, we're moving out of that fucking apartment. Now, I want to make a quick note that my husband does not believe in the paranormal, so he thought that I was crazy. A couple of weeks passed, and I was home alone while my husband was at work. I calmed down about our apartment, and on this particular day, I decided I wanted to have a mini-at-home photo shoot. I was feeling confident, and it was something I enjoyed doing. In the spare room, on the top shelf of the closet, I kept a box full of special things. My bandanas, my dad's ring, old movie tickets, some Fujifilm cameras, etc. I decided I wanted my bright blue bandana for the outfit, so I went into the spare room, got my box down from the shelf, and I was shocked by what I saw. Every one of the items were gone. I was furious. My husband has OCD, especially when it comes to cleaning. So, when he sees something out of place, he has to go through it and he has to organize it. This wouldn't be an issue if he didn't move my things around without telling me. He was at work, but I immediately texted him, asking him where they were. He told me he had no idea. He had no idea that I even had the box on the shelf in the closet. At this point, I was frustrated, so I began ripping the house apart. I had no luck in the bedrooms, living room, or hallway. Finally, I walked through the kitchen when that feeling hit me again. My stomach dropped. The goosebumps were immediate. I had this urge. An urge to do what? I don't know, but I acted on it and I ripped everything out of the cabinets. I threw jars across the room and then put them back when I didn't find my stuff. Finally, I looked at the cabinet above the sink. It was too high for my husband and I to reach, so we never really used it. I stood up on a chair, and in the very back of that cabinet were all of my belongings. The bandanas folded neatly. The cameras, the rings, the movie tickets, everything. I grabbed it all, threw it back in the box, and went back to the spare room, feeling extremely dizzy. The spare room door did not have a lock on the inside, but it had a lock on the outside. As soon as I put my stuff on the shelf, where it was before, I became extremely nauseated. My ears filled with the sound of waves, which grew louder and louder. I thought I was going to throw up, so I ran to open the door, and what happened next was unimaginable. The door was locked from the outside. This wasn't a typical turn lock. It was one of the locks that have a hook connected to the door frame, so you have to lift the hook to lock the door. I slammed my entire body against that door, crying from the fear and the pain of needing to throw up. I could hear my two border collies outside of the door barking and screaming like they never had before. I slammed myself against that door until I finally ended up ripping the hook off the doorframe. As soon as the door 
swung open. I saw my dogs book it to our bedroom. I took one step out and towards the bathroom, and an awful pain ripped through my body. It was like nails were scratching every part of it. I barely made it to the toilet when I threw up. Then I stumbled to my bedroom in a half limp and half run. I made it to my bed and threw the covers over myself, feeling like a little kid hiding from a monster. My dogs stayed under the bed and refused to come out no matter how much I called for them. I ended up calling my husband when he was on a break. I cried and explained what happened. His friend overheard the story and asked, Are you going fucking crazy? I hung up. Days went by and my husband and I talked about everything that went down. I don't know if he ever believed me, but he agreed that we needed to move out. My husband's aunt came and took a look at the apartment. She was very spiritual and she wanted to check everything out. One thing she checked out was the living room closet. She went into it, shut the door, and she was quiet for about two minutes. When she came out, she was crying. She said that she felt a small presence, like a child. The presence wanted to leave the house, but it was stuck. It enjoyed having us there. I don't know how much of this I believed, but I know that her tears were real when she walked out of that closet. We found another apartment about a month later, and we were out of there. Before we left, I used that same Fujifilm camera and took some photos of all the rooms. I never had them developed. I still wonder what those photos look like, and I wonder if anything unwelcoming is in them. Maybe one day we'll look at them. To this day, I see things. I see shapes out of the corners of my eyes. I hear whispers in different rooms that hush when I walk in. I've heard it's possible for things to attach themselves to you, but I just don't know enough about it. I just know that I'm never alone wherever I go. Every new house, every car ride, anything. There's something with me. I don't feel as scared anymore, but whatever was in that apartment up on that hill, I hope we never meet again. It was a partially burnt-down house when my parents first bought our former home in Detroit, Michigan. Desolate and run-down, the charred-up walls of our former home were my first impression of the place I would call home for nearly a decade. It took some time before we moved in, but eventually we all settled into our home together. It took some time, but not before too long, we started to feel a presence in the house. It started off small. My brother and sister would encounter a small boy while going to our upstairs bedroom. They would either catch him standing at the landing of the stairs looking down or catch him out of their peripheral vision going up towards our bedroom. From time to time, we would also hear footsteps coming from our upstairs bedroom when we would be in the living room downstairs. Small occurrences like our bedroom door opening and closing 
as well as my sister's dolls being moved from corner to corner in our bedroom, would happen. Concerning the dolls, I was skeptical at first, but seeing how shook she was to them being moved convinced me otherwise. Experiences would vary from person to person. My brother would see a burned man, but only through the mirrors we had in the house. My sister would hear giggling in other rooms. I had several experiences that shook me too, but none like the one I'm about to tell you. It was towards the end of the year, on a very cold night. I had woken up from a nightmare, one I can't recall to this day. I was sweating through my pajamas, and my room was extremely cold. I was about to go downstairs to drink some water, but that's when the bedroom door opened, and it opened slowly. Suddenly, I felt the air around me get dense. I looked to my right and tried to wake up my younger brother, but nothing worked. I looked to my left to try to wake my two younger sisters up, but as I was about to shake them, I heard it. Now, I can't really explain how I heard it, but once I did, I looked towards the open doorway and in a split second saw a tall shadow figure just standing there. I was frozen. All I could do was just stare at it. I felt every hair on my body stand up, and I felt as if my heart was going to come out of my mouth. It wasn't long after it manifested that it started to wheeze heavily. I don't know how I could tell, but I knew it was staring at me. My body was at a standstill. I tried to scream, but I couldn't. I wanted to cry, but I couldn't do that either. And my fear only elevated that much more when I saw its red eyes appear out of nowhere. I can't exactly say it opened its eyes. All I can say is that they suddenly showed up on its face. I felt like I was going to faint. I don't know if I was breathing at all. The air around me was so heavy, all I could do was just stand there and stare. As a million different thoughts ran through my head, all of them stopped as soon as I saw it walking towards me. Not gliding or floating, but walking. Each step it took was audible and rang true as if the floor was made out of glass. It wasn't until it was in front of my bed that I somehow managed to snap out of it and hide under my bedsheet. Now, this is when most people would close their eyes and eventually go to sleep, but I ran into a problem. While shuffling in my bed, trying to get under my sheets, I only managed to get to the topmost sheet on top of me, and it was the thinnest. By the time I realized my mistake, I opened my eyes to see the dark figure through my sheet, next to me, just inches away. I started taking deep, fast breaths out of simple fear, and I knew deep inside that I've been had. I closed my eyes tightly and held my breath for what felt like an hour. I couldn't sleep, 
and I certainly couldn't get out of bed. But soon, I heard raspy breathing while I laid on my bed. My body tensed up, and for some idiotic reason, I decided to open my eyes. All I could see was a large, black hand over my face. I would have cried, but fear took hold of me as I widened my eyes to the horrific image of the large hand in front of me. Scariest thing, though, is that the hand just hovered over my face, as if it was teasing me, knowing full well how terrified I was and how horrifying it was. I don't remember going to sleep. I experienced many other things in the house before I moved to where I currently live. It's certainly an experience I'm ironically grateful for, as it cemented my belief in the paranormal, but also dug a crater in me that is filled with nothing but fear, loneliness, and horror. I'd like to think I would act differently now if I experienced the same thing, but deep down, I'm not entirely sure I would. This is a true experience of mine. I've wanted to tell this story for years and I think it suits your show. I'm an office manager, mom, and grandmother. I work full-time and I recently completed a three-year industry-recognized certificate course. I think I'm a fairly level-headed, normal kind of person. However, all of my life, I've been plagued by very frightening episodes of sleep paralysis. I'm happy that what I've experienced now has a name because when I was younger, I had no idea what was happening to me. My first experience was when I was five. I woke to see somebody small running out of my bedroom. When I could finally move, I told my mom that it was a pipe cleaner man. Now, I had seen a stop motion segment on TV that night with men made out of little pipe cleaners. So my little brain associated what I saw with that. Over the years, I've seen giant glowing spiders, an old woman sitting on the end of my bed, a turn-of-the-century Asian man smiling at me, a long-past-but-vengeful cat, and an unnaturally tall man groaning as he's falling on top of me. Oh, and little beings that have tried to pick me up and take me away. I've learned to be able to acknowledge in the depths of my subconscious that I am asleep and I just need to wake up for it to stop. If I wake to a crushing sensation on my chest, I just tell myself to breathe shallowly and go back to sleep. I've been managing to cope with it, but there were two episodes about 30 years ago that I have never forgotten. When I think of them, I feel very unsettled. Just writing this is scaring me. The brain is a powerful organ and these episodes were so incredibly real at the time that they were happening. It was 1992 and I was in Western Australia with my then husband and my two young children. The house was quiet and I awoke in the middle of the night from a deep sleep. I was lying on my left side facing the edge of the bed and I was very aware 
of a deep golden glow filling the room. As I opened my eyes, there was just this torso in front of me. I couldn't see anything else. It filled my whole field of vision. It was a tanned and glistening torso with a six-pack. It seemed like it was trying to thrust something into my mouth. Before I was able to see its face, I managed to scream, push myself away, and wake myself and my husband up. Satisfied that there was no intruder, we eventually went back to sleep. I was, however, deeply disturbed by what I had seen. The image of that torso, its proximity to me, it haunted me. Fast forward a couple of nights. I woke again from a deep sleep and I was aware of a rich golden brown light bathing the room. This time I was on my right side, facing my sleeping husband. As I looked across the bed, I saw, backed into the corner of the room, seemingly asleep like a dormant sentry guard to the gates of hell, a naked figure. It was deeply tanned and glistening with a six-pack. There was nothing between its legs. It was like this molded action figure. It had these thick thighs that met in the middle. I looked at its face. Imagine a parrot's face, but instead of feathers, it's covered in tight, shimmery leather skin. Instead of a beak, there was a large, hooked, feathery nose. Beneath the nose, there were lips that were pale and wet. The eyes were heavily lidded with long lashes. As I watched, unable to move, I felt that if there were such thing as demons, this was surely one of them. Its eyelids began to slowly rise open. The sheer terror of what I thought was in my bedroom woke me up, and as with all my waking nightmares, the image slowly receded. I have never before nor since had two related episodes of sleep paralysis such as this. Even though I eventually moved and now live on the other side of the country, at night I'm frightened that if I stare too closely into the gloom, I'll see it standing there in the corner of the room. So to the leathery, parrot-faced demon, I can only hope that in this life or the next we never meet again. I live in Florida now, but this happened in 1985 when I was a teenager in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. I was 15 at the time. Back then, there weren't cell phones or social media, so my friends and I would usually just play soccer, go to clubs, play in parks, and sometimes just horse around, doing mischievous and daring things. Unlike me, my cousins from my father's side were brought up wealthy, so I would go to their house to watch the latest VHS movies and play video games. They lived in a seven-floor residential building owned by their father and uncle. Each family would occupy a single apartment on a different story level, and since the building had only two large apartments per floor, the entire building was virtually empty. One day, we decided to play hide-and-seek with a daring twist. 
My two cousins, Pedro and Angelo, told me that between the fifth and third levels, the staircase's light bulbs were decommissioned to save energy, and since there were no windows, it was pitch black. I was never afraid of the dark until that day. I went on with the game, hiding and sometimes making noises to taunt my cousins. I decided to show off by going to the place they disliked. I started to climb down the fifth floor, thinking, it's just three stories. If I move really fast, I'll be on the second floor in no time. Piece of cake. Well, I was wrong. I kept running down, howling to give them clues of my whereabouts, but all went quiet. A strange feeling ran down my spine, so I kept pressing down the stairs, using the side rail to guide me. At some point, I could swear I had climbed way more than three levels, but I kept going down. I should be at the street level right now. This is crazy, I thought. At that point, my stomach turned cold, tumbling inside me. I decided to stop when my hand touched the metal knob of a fire escape door. I felt relieved since the elevator was on the other side, but the door was shut and the knob would not budge. That was the moment when I felt a presence behind me. I heard a whisper from the back of my head, followed by a grunt of pain. A sound so rough it almost sounded like an animal. I panicked. I resumed my running down the stairs in frantic mode. The presence right behind me was now followed by moanings and random voices. After what in my mind was an eternity, I finally noticed I had arrived at the street level, leading to a small reception area. I dragged myself into the elevator and went to the seventh floor, where my cousins looked at me as if I were crazy. We thought you had left, they told me. I explained what happened, which woke their curiosity. Since they had the means to buy the latest gadgets, they decided to buy a digital recorder. The next day, they called me and asked if I wanted to record the voices with them. I said yes. Two weeks after the incident, my two cousins and I stopped the elevator on the fourth floor, where it was the darkest. It was around 10 p.m. on a Saturday. My cousin Angelo held the elevator so we would not be stuck there while Pedro and I opened the fire escape door ajar and turned on the recorder. My cousin told me it would record up to four hours of sound. The next day, I got a call from Pedro. He did not have the usual sarcasm in his voice. He told me, I made you a copy. There is some weird shit on this tape. I told my close friends, aunt and parents about the tape. We all listened to it. It was eerie and sad. I invited my friends to my house one day. We got some pizza and drinks and anxiously, we all sat around the recorder my cousin let me borrow. I pressed play. At first, 
it was just 45 minutes of wind tunnel sounds, so I pressed fast forward until I noticed a muffled voice. There were no words, just sounds of what appeared to be someone in pain or anger. Other voices appeared as if they were crying or whispering. Metallic noises slowly added to the layers of bizarre sounds, like metal scraping against rocks or large metal tubes. It was hard to tell. At some point, a terrifying female cry surfaced from the background, and suddenly, all went quiet. Two people in our group started to cry. One friend excused himself, saying he did not want to hear that kind of stuff. I won't deny it freaked me out too. My mother, who is a history teacher and a person who believes in the mysteries of the afterlife, told me that that area of the neighborhood of Tihuka was once a coffee plantation. It was possible that at some point in time, those who were enslaved were killed where the building now stands. Per my mother's request, I destroyed the tape. She told me to respect the memory of those who suffered and died there. I felt an immense sense of relief after, and for all that is worth, I never returned to my cousin's building. This story involves a house I lived in from birth until I was about 13. Many strange things happened during my time there, but this is the only time that I saw something full on that I thought was a ghost or spirit. The house we lived in was in a small town in the middle of nowhere, California. I'm going to give you a quick description of the front part of our house. Remember this for later. When you come into the door, there is a quarter of a wall to the left blocking off part of the dining room and the living rooms on your right. This meant that from the living room, you could see through to most of the dining room. The dining room abuts the galley kitchen with a bar separating the two and a small opening that was like a doorway without a door. Depending on where you sat in the living room, you could see straight down the opening to the kitchen. Now onto the story. We had a female German shepherd named Kasbah. My parents had her since I was born. She was my buddy. Kasbah had a bad habit of getting out of our fenced backyard and disappearing for up to a week at a time. My family always assumed that she had a second family that she would go visit and they would take care of her. When I was in either kindergarten or the beginning of first grade, Kasbah disappeared for over a month. Someone called my dad and informed him that she had been found dead. My dad, oldest sister, and I went to collect the dog. She was on the road behind the park that I used to play at next to the high school, if I remember correctly. She didn't look like she had been hit by anything, so we assumed that maybe someone had poisoned her or something like that. We had threats from some people that if she got out again, they would hurt her, if I remember correctly. My dad loaded Kasbah's body into the truck and the three of us took her up into the surrounding hills. 
I don't remember if my dad buried her or not. We said a few words, and then he drove us home. I was heartbroken. This was my first experience with death. She had been my buddy since I could drop food on the floor. I was most upset that I couldn't say goodbye. So about a week or so after we laid our dog to rest, we were enjoying a typical night watching TV. My parents were on the couch by the window so that they would be able to see into the dining room and kitchen from there. I believe my sisters were on the other couch where they could see down that way if they looked, and I was sitting on the floor next to the coffee table. I was kind of in the middle of the living room, so I would have the best view of the TV. As I was watching TV, I got this odd sense of somebody watching me, an overwhelming urge to look behind me. I turned my head, and there was Casbah, laying down in the kitchen doorway. I could only see the front half of her body as it looked like the other half was wrapped around the corner into the main section of the kitchen. She lifted her head and looked at me. I turned to tell my family, but before I said anything, I got the feeling that I needed to look back. When I did, she was gone. Now this was not a corner-of-the-eye thing. I full-on looked at her. I had other experiences in this house, but I never saw her again. I think that she had come to give me what my little five- or six-year-old heart needed, which was a farewell. I missed her, but I wasn't sad anymore. I'll see you on the other side, Caspar. One late evening, my brother and I went for a walk around the perimeter of our land. I began to feel like I was in a dream as the sound of leaves rustling waved through the forest around us. The shadows of the trees had grown darker as the sun was setting. Thankfully, my brother had brought a flashlight with him. We reached the back side of our property when we heard twigs and leaves crunching from the woods in front of us. I was starting to see a lot of colors by then. All the trees were lit up with green, orange, and purple hues. I'm not sure what my brother was seeing. I told him I wanted to start back towards the house. I didn't admit that I was getting creeped out once we reached the old cemetery, which was located just behind our property line. I always hated that it was so close to us, ever since we moved there two years ago. I grabbed my brother's flashlight and pointed it at the sound. We looked closer and made out features of a humanoid shape. It was tall, skinny, and pale, and appeared to be hunched over with long arms. The light of the flashlight repelled off wide and glowing eyes. As we stood there, staring at it, I tried to make sense of what we were seeing. Maybe it was only a deer. We started to walk down the driveway again, but we didn't take our eyes off the thing. As we took a few steps, it moved with us. I almost had a damn heart attack. For whatever reason, I believed whatever we were seeing couldn't or wouldn't reach us within our property line. 
We never took our eyes off of it as we walked away. The creature was matching our pace and following us along in the woods to the left of us. We shouted for it to leave us alone, and we walked toward the end of our driveway. We pretended like nothing had happened, because we could have just been seeing other shadows. The security light at the gate flicked on, and suddenly, every single one of the dogs that lived down the hill from us started howling together. Our dogs were howling from their crates. Their howls were so loud it gave us goosebumps. For as long as we have lived there, we've never had something like this happen. Why were the dogs barking, as if they were some type of alarm sensing an intruder? I started to hear whispers in the soft breeze of the night. I got the chills thinking about the cemetery a yard away. I started to feel like I was going to be sick. I was wigging out. After I calmed down, my brother and I decided we weren't going to be scared of that thing. My brother had texted one of our friends to come over and hang out with us. We figured there was safety in numbers. We headed back out of the house to meet him at the mailbox at the end of the driveway. When we stepped outside, I grabbed my brother's arm and yanked him back before he saw the large black snake that slithered past us. The snake started heading towards the wood line, in the same direction we had seen that creature in the woods. I tried to record it on my phone because I knew no one would believe us. Then we walked to the mailbox to meet my friend. We told him what happened, and he was totally spooked. We stood there at the gate and talked for a bit. Then our friend said he started to feel the night and how it was off. Something was up. We could feel something watching us. That's when we all decided to walk towards the tree line. I showed him where we saw the thing. Then we started to hear an owl call from the forest. Our friend kept talking like nothing was going on. I couldn't stay focused though. I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience as we stood there. I felt that thing move around us. I saw shadows in the tree line. That's when we looked towards the cemetery. We all saw a light, like the glow of a lantern in the distance. As we started talking, the creatures in the woods seemed to get louder and louder. The crickets chirped. The owl started cooing again and branches snapped from within the woods. Then we started hearing the howls of the dogs in the neighborhood again. It all seemed to be happening at once. The full moon had then fully set in the sky, and everything around us got quiet again. We decided to call it a night. It was getting late anyways. I feel like some people might laugh at this story, but we all know what we experienced whether you believe us or not. Things like this happen to me at night, often, but never like this.
You are listening to Odd Trails. We're under the true crime genre um, on Apple Podcasts. A lot of people have brought up like, you're not necessarily true crime. That's true. We're not necessarily true crime, but it's the closest genre to our type of podcast that we could select on Apple Podcasts. There's actually not a huge wide array of genres to choose from with Apple. So we just kind of had to fly with that. Yeah, it was difficult to try to make the decision as to how we can categorize ourselves. No paranormal category, no storytelling category either. What do we do? Humor, I guess? I don't know. Society. I think we talked about that. Society, philosophy, something ridiculous. Yeah, I think yeah. we put in like philosophy, spirituality or something like that, which it fits. But primarily, it's a paranormal or supernatural podcast. But Apple, if you're listening, stick that in there, man. There are so many paranormal podcasts that are listed under true crime because it's the only genre we have to choose from. Yeah, stick it in there, as he said. <laughs> but I do love true crime podcasts. We talked about Cold this week. Uh, we did a promo for them. And ironically, I had just started listening to season one of Cold because you recommended oh, it's it. It's so to good. Me. Yeah, it's so good. It's really good. And this is not a paid advertisement. They're not paying us for this. I just want to talk about Cold because I just started listening to it. I'm about halfway through season one. And it's easily one of the best produced, researched uh, true crime podcasts out there. I think you agree with me, right? Absolutely. 100%. I liked the first season a lot. That is the only season I've listened to so far, but mm -hmm. this third one seems pretty good too. Yeah, I'm just going to binge all the way through to catch up to start with season three. One thing I found interesting about the Susan Powell case, everybody involved in this case, and this is not a spoiler, all these adults are keeping journals. I've never <laughs> met a single adult out there that kept a life, daily life journal, unless you were like a, it's like a fitness journal or a dream journal or something that relates to a, a, an activity that you do or that helps you with your day, like logging things, but just like a daily journal. They just talked about everything that went on in their day. Like it's very self-incriminating too. That's the problem. That's <laughs> yeah. what I don't understand. Yeah. They, they very self-incriminating. It's like a 12 year old kid laying on the bed, writing about their day and and uh, all the cute guys that they saw at school. It, it's just so weird because, it, yeah, it's completely self-incriminating. And everybody in this podcast, everybody on this case, for some reason, kept a fucking journal. So weird. All that really does is tell me if I'm going to commit a crime, I've got to start journaling now to account for my actions in the future. And that's my alibi right there. Read my journal. I didn't do it. I swear. You literally just discredited your alibi. Because now they're going to know why you did it and they're going to know oh. that it's, it can't be held up in court because you just admitted plan B. <laughs> Don't tell us plan B. My favorite thing is saying, oh, everything I'm saying right now is all just First Amendment parody. So you can get away with anything. Like when we text each other, we just mm -hmm. throw things in there like, oh, if anybody's listening, this is all just a parody. <laughs> We're just role playing. Yeah. And we, <laughs> we just make the most horrible jokes just to see what we can get away with. And if we get tapped on the shoulder or have our door kicked in, it's fun, though. Playing with fire. Yeah. And when you constantly talk about conspiracy theories and stuff, like you have to, because people will take you seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Or saying, oh, I'd like to do this to this person. Like, uh, no. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> oh, shit. I was thinking more like justice, not doing naughty okay. things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so lucid dreaming, you were telling me that some, like a listener talked to you recently about this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really cool turn of events here. I don't know if this would be considered a turn of events, but either way, an event happened. 
I've mentioned how when I lucid dream, I ask the people in my dream if I'm in fact dreaming. Well, turns out a listener saw me in their dream, and I was the one to inform them that, hey, you're dreaming, and they turned lucid. So I, I feel really proud about that. <laughs> you know, that's you ended up being their dream guide. Exactly. Yeah, it's an honor. It's an absolute honor. I've heard about these in books, uh, the lucid dreaming book that I read recently. They talked about dream guides, and they, they referred to them as these like higher beings, these higher spiritual beings that can guide you to explain what your dreams are about and talk to you about existence and stuff like that. But that makes me wonder if a lot of dream guides out there are really just other people that are dreaming. Probably, or more more realistically, just conjured up in our minds. Maybe there's something within ourselves where we know we have the power to navigate this dream realm. Mm -hmm. And these guides are our own subconscious of sorts, holding our own hand, so to speak. Who's to say? Who's to say? <laughs> Another cool thing, small world moment. My mom is a member of a small Native American tribe in the Pacific Northwest. I'm talking like less than 3,000 people. Mm -hmm. Well, last week, we coincidentally received a story from somebody who long story short, is a member of that same tribe. And they actually spent some time with my great grandpa in his final years and sent some pictures over. It, it was insane. It was, it was really heartwarming. That's the wildest thing to come from yeah. our podcast. Yeah. Like just that is the weirdest synchronicity and coincidence. It's a tiny tribe too. Tiny. I just happened to notice the domain name was the name of the tribe itself. So I sent back an email asking some questions, and sure enough, yeah, she knew exactly who my great-grandfather was and all this stuff. Yeah, I had a conversation with my dad recently. He brought up, did you know we're Irish? And I was like, I, I, <laughs> probably, Dad. I don't, <laughs> probably. What else would we be? <laughs> I know, exactly. And I was like, yeah, probably, Dad. He's like, yeah, I, I talked to some uh, family members that did some ancestry thing on with their DNA. And I told my dad, like, don't do that, dude. That's so yeah. creepy. You're just sending off your DNA to some private company to learn, no, learn thank you. about you or whatever, quote unquote. I'm glad my parents did that for me. So I have an idea. <laughs> yeah, I would never do it on my own volition. So what, what exactly are you then? Irish and what else? He just said Irish. That's all that, like, we're pretty much just Irish. Wow. Good like, for that's you. That's the main thing. There may be like some small percentages of something else in there, but he's like, yeah, we're just straight up. Wow. I'm like... Norwegian and an eighth, maybe a little bit less than an eighth Native American. Some weird balance there, but those are the heavy hitters, Norwegian and Native American. Yeah, your skin has the most interesting tone to it. You know what it is? It's the CeraVe. Well, you look beautiful. Getting back to true crime, do you have any other favorite true crime podcasts? Ooh, I would say recently I've been getting back into Swindled. I like his, his stuff a lot. His narration isn't for everybody. If anything else, it kind of gave me some inspiration. He's really monotone, but I like the just the cold, sarcastic delivery. He injects some dry humor in there. It's just really good, really good cases as well. Good atmosphere with the music. And then also Case File, they have a three-part series on Silk Road and its founder, which for those who aren't familiar, it was an online black market on the dark web where you could use Bitcoin to buy whatever illicit items your heart desired. But it's a really, really good series that covers the rise and fall of Silk Road and all the legalities and impacts it's had. Pretty interesting. 
And then, of course, Hunting Warhead, but that's a trigger warning, big trigger warning. We've talked about that before. Oh, yeah, big trigger warning for Hunting Warhead. It's a good one, but, man, it's rough. It, huge trigger warning. It involves the dark web as well mm-hmm. in much worse ways. Yeah, cold is... Cold has made its way to the top of the list for me. It's up there with, um, what was it, Up and Vanished, uh, season one and season two of that series. Oh, yeah, Payne Lindsay did a good job with that. Yeah, I really, really liked those. I love those long cases that where they can do, you know, 15, 20 episodes to have to cover all of the details rather than it just be an episode of a podcast where they try to cram everything in man it's so cool when they go and interview detectives and police officers and the people surrounding the case it's so interesting it's so just enthralling to listen to i like to listen to them at the gym but yeah tell us some of your favorite true crime podcasts i'd love to hear from you all anyways thanks everybody for listening this week you have heard the apartment on the hill by sage ghost story by christian a true sleep paralysis story by maxine howlings of pain by arthur Casbah Said Goodbye by Sarah and One Trippy Night by Leah. All the stories you heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Make sure you send your stories in to stories at oddtrails.com and don't forget to check out our Patreon if you want to get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bit rate for the best listening experience. You can check that out at patreon.com forward slash odd trails and don't forget to check out the new episodes of my other podcasts let's not meet a true horror podcast welcome to paradise it sucks and the old time radio cast at crypticcountypodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts we'll see you all next week stay safe peace out